So uh, 2021 is here. We thought we would be maybe getting a break, but our one week trial subscription is up and I would like to unsubscribe. (laughs) There's a funny meme going around of a woman in front of like those days since an incident where she had six. Oh yeah. And she like (laughs) changes it to zero. Um, And then chugs a bottle of wine. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's January 7th, 2021. And uh, yeah. Um, Maybe one of the most important moments in U.S. history happened yesterday. I mean, we won't know for sure for quite a while whether it ends up being one. But in my opinion, I know in Hillary's opinion and many other historians' opinions, it's going to be hard to top it as far as one of the 10 most pivotal moments in history for the United States. For me, it felt like a 9-11. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about today. We're going to Today, we're going to talk about kind of what happened yesterday, but we're also going to kind of give some historical perspective about kind of regulator movements, insurrections, seditions, riots, all of this kind of in what the U.S.'s history has been with that in the past. But, um, you know, it's, I have never had so many requests from listeners to like directly address something so quickly. Yeah. Uh, I was getting texted quite a bit yesterday with this uh, request. And, you know, so I, I do want to say we are reeling from this just like everybody else. And right. We're not prepared. I mean, we were supposed to do Childhood in America today, right? <laughs> and Jeff texted me yesterday afternoon. He's like, I think we need to do something else. And and I agree. But I mean, just so listeners are aware, we are reeling from this. We are traumatized and we are unpacking it, you know, less than 24 hours out from the incident. But we do think it's very important to address in particular yeah, I think historical it's- context. Yeah, I think it's, it's critical right now. So uh, let's get right into it then. Welcome to An Incomplete History. I'm Hillary. And I'm Jeff. And we're your hosts for this weekly history podcast. So... Before we get into the thick of this, let's start off on our traditional light note. Uh, how's the weather? It's Oxford? really gloomy, and it's raining really hard off and on, and it, it feels very fitting for today. Well, it is absolutely gorgeous today. It is It is one of the reasons I live in Southern California. because Leave it to first- San Diego not to read the room. read the room san diego um it is sunny um it is the high 60s there's a couple of wispy clouds in the sky um no big fires going on near me right now no big mudslides nothing i mean it's it is very pretty today um i mean i think hillary and i are gonna end up with a very different end point we see the current events going on i i'm curious to see whether that really plays out or not but like i mean let's talk about what happened first let's give kind of as historians what we always like to do first is is give a narrative of what happened and say this happened then this happened then this happened before we start trying to figure out you know what what it means and everything so if you were writing the history of january 6 2021 um, 
right at the beginning of your monograph, what would you start out at? What point would you start with? That is such a good question because I'm like, oh my gosh, is he going to throw this to me and where do I start? Because I think to figure out what happened yesterday, there's like a brief way to go about it and to say the election happened on November 3rd, 2019. Joe Biden won the election, right? Like, And you can go forward from there. But to me, this has seemed to be brewing for five plus years um, in this way. Um, but, but also, I mean, we talk so much in this, on this podcast about history and about, you know, context and all that. And like, to me, it just seems like almost a natural progression to so many of the things that we've discussed. Um, but to, to discuss what happened yesterday at the U S Capitol when, um, domestic terrorists stormed into the building, uh, looted, rioted, vandalized, um, terrorized members of both houses I would say the best way to start it is is to talk about just the election and what yesterday was supposed to be, which is just this mundane um, certification of the votes, which it just it's never a big deal. I've never remembered thinking about this day as a big deal, even when Gore conceded and lost in 2000. He just went in and he had to preside over it as the vice president. Right. And it was mm-hmm. just like, yep, let's move along. And it's supposed to be about a 30 minute event. So I think starting at November, is that, what would you do? I mean, cause that, I don't know. Where would you start? I would, I mean, if I was going to teach a class, like say I was going to give a, a special lecture on this, like an open lecture to the public. Um, I would start with the rally that was held yesterday morning. Okay. So you would go like, Let's just talk about today, that day. Well, what I would talk about is I would talk about that rally and how, and I was keeping an eye on it because I was teaching at the same time. So I had two computers open and I had my teaching stuff on one and I had like C-SPAN on the other and I was watching stuff as stuff started to come unhinged. But this rally that took place yesterday, and you know what? I mean, it's we're probably going to lose some blisters over this. And and you know what? I don't want Nazis listening to us anyway. Um, this was fascism on full display. So Trump, Rudy Giuliani, all these people that got up and spoke yesterday – Every one of them tried to outdo the other with the ridiculous things they said. I mean, at one point, Rudy Giuliani is up there saying, trial by combat. Wasn't that – oh, my – I was very nervous about this day. I I was worried about what was going to happen yeah. and kind of the naive part of me hoped that Trump would – kind of play to his audience, but at the same time, discourage them from doing anything else. I should have known better. Well, the thing is, here's what happened, is that all of these people were invited to come and to, quote, be wild, right? This was mm-hmm. tweeted by the president yeah. in December, late December. You well, know, this come is- the 6th, come ready to go, be wild. Uh, you know, before he says, proud boys, stand back, stand by, right? So he invites all these people to Capitol, and he's got to put a show on for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's to oh. me, that's what it felt like yesterday. He's like, oh, God, they all showed up. I guess we got to make it make it good and make it watchable because he's he at the core and heart of who he is. He's a reality TV show person and a fascist. So 
So, I mean, that that happens, and then he tells them to make the walk to the Capitol building, and what do they do? They make the walk to the Capitol building. He said he was going to go with them, and then he didn't. Because he's a chicken shit, if I can use the, the French word there. And he's probably um, not in the best of shape to walk that distance. Right. Um, I mean, so they move there, and we're still kind of trying to figure out exactly when the barricades come down, what happens, but... They storm the Capitol, and I'm also tired of people showing the initial moment they get through the doors where there's just a few of them filtering down the hallway. You need to couch that view that it wasn't that scary for the people in the Capitol building with some of the pictures people actually in the Capitol building were taking. And and you said you don't know about the barricade. So what I saw, and so a lot of this is going to be like, what did you see? What did I see? I was watching MSNBC live. And what I saw was Capitol Police go up to a metal barricade, you know, like those little like, Uh they're not like really firm, strong ones, but there was a metal barricade up. They walked up to it in their full gear and they just opened it and they just started walking past them. So it's like, I mean, that's what I saw. So sometimes I know what law enforcement does with, I mean, we're going to have a whole other discussion about if this had been Black Lives Matters protesters, it, it would have been a bloodbath yesterday. Well, we've seen what happens when Black Lives Matter come. You, you remember those images just from a few months ago of people stacked on the steps of the Capitol in full riot gear waiting. So I'm sorry, go ahead with the, the barricades. So, uh, one technique I think police use to manage protesters is they will let them continue protest in a certain way. Harvey's very anxious about this today too. Um, that they'll let them, they'll like open barricades or something to let them go a specific direction, hoping, hoping it diffuses the situation. And I've heard this argument already, right? Not at the capital of the United States. But I, but I've heard this argument already, like um, that, one of the reasons they let them just kind of do what they did is they didn't want to first make martyrs in the group, which might be a good point, but also that they didn't want to up the violence because at the end of the day, we don't know how many of those rioters, those insurrectionists, we don't know how many of them had firearms with them. So all the more reason. So here to me, it's like, I've seen this coming for weeks and I've been saying this to you. I'm really nervous about January 6th. I've been saying it to my husband. I'm really nervous about it. Why weren't they more prepared for this? Why wasn't the national guard there in the first place? Why was, where was DC police? What's happening here? I mean, on, I've seen several videos where, or I've seen it live too, where, you know, there is one guy against, you know, the horror. Oh yeah. And so what is that one person supposed to do? And at that point, I'm like, I, I feel bad for that person. But they let it get to this point. Right. Well, there was so I mean, much preparation that could have been done and wasn't. Right. But I mean, to continue the narrative, like, so they, they breached the Capitol and both chambers are kind of locked and they kind of are moving senators and Congress, uh, members of Congress to safe locations. Um, I heard an interview with Senator Tammy Duckworth and she's a disabled veteran and she has to use a wheelchair to get around. And she was talking about kind of, she had to kind of be lifted up and carried around. And we know that at this point, some members of Congress were calling family members and saying goodbye to them, which to me reminded me of nine 11, 
right? That yes, definitely. Because, the level of terror and fear. Yeah, well, this absolutely. Because if, like some of them posted on social media, this was a revolution they felt they were taking part in, where were they going to stop? Were they going to summarily execute kind of these people they viewed as traitors in Congress? Um, well, and they showed up with zip ties. That's the that's that photo just is chilling. The guy who's dressed chilling. in full paramilitary stuff with a whole bundle of zip ties, they clearly were intent on getting hostages. They said so. I mean, um, they set up gallows out out front. I mean, this was not a protest. This was this a was direction. A, right. This was a serious attempt to violently overthrow the government of the United States of America. Full stop. Period. Anybody who engaged in this activity or fomented it is culpable and is a traitor. Would you agree oh, with that statement? Oh my gosh, a hundred times over. And we know where it starts. We yeah. know who is at the head. The head of this Hydra is Donald J. Trump. And history will not judge him kindly at all, I think. No. I mean, um, even right now, I'm seeing, so I've seen a lot of people, you know, on social media who are still st sticking to it, but now I'm seeing a lot of people come over and go, okay, this is nuts. And even some like high members of our government who have been shitheads for the last four years even said, whoa, enough. Right. And we'll, and we'll get to that. I, you yeah. Know, but but the head as Donald Trump, yes, right, but but alongside kind of that initial that that event, and then the movement of the Capitol and the breach of the Capitol, I think also alongside it, you need to pin, you need to place that letter that Mike Pence released yesterday morning. Where yeah, where he says you're asking me to do something I cannot do. Right, where he says I I'm not going to do this. That this is not what the Constitution allows me to do. And I think those two things combined, first, it put a huge target on Mike Pence's back. I mean, the stuff that Trump said about Pence can definitely be read as, get this guy and bring his head to me. Yeah. I mean, he was very upset to be told no. Right. And especially because he had already invited all of his you know, people to come. And then he got told on the morning of his big show, no. Yeah. And it riled everybody up more. He wanted to rile everybody up more. Him, his kids, Rudy Giuliani, Holly, right? They're all culpable here right. in inciting a riot. And and this isn't, I think what we need to also stop doing is viewing Trump as a petulant child, because I think that diminishes the danger of what he does. He is a dictator wannabe in the vein of Vladimir Putin in the vein of Xi Jinping, in the in the vein of Vladimir uh, of uh, of Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, Franco, he is a dictator wannabe, right? And wannabe, this was really. his moment. This was his moment to overthrow the government. And I do want to clarify, kind of, to listeners, what actually was. It was not a coup, technically. So a coup would have been the military involved in this. The, the military was not involved in this. This is a push um, 
I would call it, although we can argue semantics. But it was the moment where I think he thought things would change. And, you know, we could have a whole series of episodes about why he's so desperate at this point. But it's, you know, I'm glad the media is calling it what it was. Um, I'm glad the New York Times, like, unequivocally said what it was. Um, But this was an insurrection. This was an attempt to violently subvert the will of the people and overthrow the duly elected government of the United States of America and to stop the government from functioning, to remove from power people who were in disagreement with the the protesters and to, to kind of install people who were friendly to them and to carry out the will of their great leader, Donald J. Trump. I mean, it's what did you think the moment where they pulled down the American flag over the the chambers and started to hoist up the Trump flag. So uh, there were a couple moments with flags yesterday that were alarming to me. I would say that was one of the most alarming. And I thought, was that the most, I thought that was the, the second most alarming. No, the Confederate, no, the Confederate flag coming into the Capitol, because what listeners need to know, if you already don't know already is that the Confederacy never even breached the Capitol. The, the only time this happened was during the War of 1812 when the British oh, did it. When the British sacked Washington, D.C. Right. So to see a Confederate flag in the United States Capitol as being taken over, I guess it took them 150 years. But, you know, if you talk to people in the South, which I have to do every day, um, they will say to you, I have heard people say this to me, like, we never surrendered. Lee surrendered. We never did. That is a, it's a really ingrained sense of loss, but also still struggle and battle where they very much feel like the civil war is not over yet. Generally surrendered, the people never did. I've heard that in a classroom. I know. I, I, listen, I grew up in the South. I was taught it was about states' rights and the federal government. Well, no, the aggression. Um, it was the war of Northern aggression. The North was trying to mandate its view on how the government should be run. And they were trying to expand the federal government. Um, you know, if any group was trying to expand the ability of the federal government to intervene in state affairs, it was the South. Um, you know, it, we can have whole conversations about that, but you know, it's so the rioters breached the chambers Um and everybody's kind of wondering, is is are the National Guard going to show up at any point? Like, when are more police going to show up? And it turns out it's Mike Pence who actually authorizes D.C. National Guard, correct? The President of the United States ignores it, and the Vice President has to come in and do this. This, to me, was also an indication of 25th Amendment now. The Vice President had to take over this operation yeah. Well, I mean, it's, so let's, I mean, God, there's just so much to impact here. Um, a couple of people this morning texted me and they were like, could you talk about the 25th Amendment? So I think let's talk really quickly about it. 25th Amendment was put into place after kind of two events happened. Um, the first event was uh, Dwight Eisenhower had a series of heart attacks. Um, and there wasn't a real clear kind of how would an incapacitated president what, how would that happen exactly? What would you do? 
Um, and the second was JFK's assassination. So the 25th Amendment's put in place, and it was a way for the vice president in with support or at the behest of a majority of basically what becomes senior cabinet officials to remove a president from power when they're viewed, where they're deemed unfit or incapable of carrying out their responsibilities. Right. And, and I mean, so there's four sections to it, right? And it has to go to, right. And it's just, it's not just about Pence and a majority of cabinet members would have to do this. Then it goes to Congress and Congress has a certain amount of time to consider it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not like a movie might display it where it's like the 25th amendment. They immediately remove the president. No, it's a little bit lengthier process than that. It is a lengthier process, but it is, if there was, if you look at section one of it, it's like in the case of the removal of the president from office or his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. Boom. Okay. No, no brainer. If the president dies, the vice president steps in. And like you said, that's directly relevant to JFK. Um, by the time, though, that you get down to section four, I mean, it's basically get, it's a much larger explanation. And it's mm-hmm. basically stating that in the case of an emergency where the president is unfit, mentally unfit, like this is a full blown emergency. We don't have time to do this, this gigantic process, even though there is a process. I mean, we've never used it before. But wouldn't this seem like exactly why it was written? So this scenario. I know David Frum wrote an op-ed last night. David Frum is a, a conservative um, kind of commentator. Uh, I disagree with him on a lot of things, but you know, over the last four years, I've really agreed with many things he's written. Um, he actually begged cabinet members and Pence to institute to twenty to to use the Twenty Fifth Amendment last night. And this was now what's interesting is he puts that out before Congress resumed its joint session. So, you know, what's going on in Congress while these riots are happening? It's the joint session to kind of certify electoral votes. So they get through um, to Arizona and Arizona gets challenged by Ted Cruz and uh, well, by some congressmen and Ted Cruz. And because it had a Senate support, they had to split for two hours and debate it. So they moved to do that. And then this is when kind of the whole process gets shut down. What's interesting though, is pretty early on, once Congress had kind of had to go into emergency recess, Pelosi and Mitch McConnell from the House and the Senate, their people were already putting out they were going to resume as soon as the Capitol was secured, they would get back together to complete this process. And I was hoping that would happen. I was really worried. I was like, what if we get to the end of the night and they haven't been able to do this? I was worried they weren't going to be able to properly secure the Capitol complex right. in time. Right. Um, I was worried. We know there were pipe bombs theoretically floating around and things. I was worried some of these people had planted pipe bombs that they wouldn't find. Um, this could have gone even worse than it did. Um, but I mean, what's interesting is, you know, Pence authorizes the use of the National Guard and the National Guard comes in and they start summarily kind of removing people from the Capitol very gingerly. 
very gingerly with white gloves. I saw footage of them like walking a woman down the steps, holding her very carefully, letting her come down the steps, escorting her off very gently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mind blowing. Although at the same time, there's this ho- another hilarious meme going around about one protester from Tennessee who she was horrified that she got maced. Elizabeth. And she was like crying yeah. that she Elizabeth got maced. And the, the reporter asked her, well, what were you doing there? Oh, it was a revolution. And it's just like, well, what did you think was going to – like, did you think they were just going to let you do that? Like, Well, here's a, a really strong distinction that we need to make. A revolution is a successful rebellion. Yeah. This was not a successful rebellion. This was right. This is, I would even say this rebellion, which is why I don't like to use the word rebellion with what the South does in 1860, 61. Rebellion implies there's some legitimate grievance, I think. It can. I mean, I think that it, it certainly can. I mean, so what would you prefer? Like insurrection? Sedition? Yeah. Oh, yeah. sedition, insurrection. Yeah. Well, I, I guess mean- that we shouldn't use these terms interchangeably. But I mean, what what happened in the United States, how the United States became a country was as a rebellion. That it was a rebellion, a right? Rebellion and turned into a revolution. So that's why that's why I want to make that distinction. Right. So let's let's kind of go in our way back machine back to the early or mid 18th century um, in the Carolinas. Um, right after, you know, the Seven Years War or the French and Indian War, depending on where you learned about it first happens, there is a movement in the Carolinas called the Regulator Movement. And it's a group of people and they're mostly from um, the interior of the Carolinas. So these are not wealthy plantation owners. These are small scale farmers, more recent immigrants. Um, these are not people who own a large number of slaves. This is, this is in many ways, this is a group very similar to some of the people who stormed the Capitol yesterday economically. Is that a fair statement? That's a really good way to put it economically, but also regionally, rural. Regionally, right. I mean, it's rural. It's a rural place. It's a place that, and go back and listen to our episode about uh, the Whiskey Rebellion and Shays Rebellion, because I think it is a group of people who feel that they are they are not being listened to and they're actually being taken advantage of. And their assertion is basically that colonial officials, and they are, these are English colonial officials, are unfairly taxing them and they're imposing a fee system that's not the same as what's being used on other people. And they feel they have the right to kind of change that um, via this regulator movement. Now, what's interesting is for years, historians have debated, is the regulator movement or the war of regulation in the Carolinas it goes on from about 1765 to 1770, 1771. Is that, um, is that a precursor to the American Revolution? Uh, I don't think it really is because I think it's something very different. Um, but well, it's not people it, trying to create their own government, right? Um, 
but it is it is a popular uprising, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so what, what I think is dangerous, though, is to even suggest that this is similar to what happened yesterday. Well, I I don't think it is. But what I what I want to do is walk through previous moments where there seems to be something that might have some similarity on some level and talk about maybe how they're not really similar, but also what happens actually. Um, So there are actually a couple of violent confrontations uh, that happen between these regulators and crown forces. Uh, But at the end of the day, it fails. The regulator movement fails. Um, and most of the people involved in it um, actually aren't really punished very deeply. Um, that being said, I would also add a distinction that there is a little difference to South Carolina because um, South Carolina, it does have a little more of an elite flavor to it. But I mean, we get this regulator movement. So there is this idea even during the colonial period that when things are bad, the public has a right to rise up and rebel against, or I don't want to use the word rebel, rise up and challenge it. Um, but that's not what happened yesterday. That's not what happened yesterday, right? This wasn't about rising up and saying, there's a wrong that needs to be righted. Right. This, this, you know, this wasn't about them saying this needs to be fixed. This was about them subverting a popular election, which is very different. Um, I mean, it's funny. Uh, did, did you stay up and watch the whole thing last night once Congress was back in session? You know, I didn't. I had some. I did. I felt it was. I couldn't. Yeah, I felt it as a historian, it was important for me to do that because um, I wanted to see this through to the end. I wanted to, to make sure I saw that it actually happened. Um, Congress got back into session last night about 8 p.m., a little after Eastern time, um, and they kind of moved pretty quickly. Mitch McConnell actually delivered a scathing rebuke of the insurrectionists. I mean, he called them insurrectionists. Yeah, I listened to that, not live, but I did. Um, He called them thugs as well, which Mm -hmm. was shocking because people from Mitch McConnell's part of the political spectrum tend to reserve the use of the word thug for people of a certain ethnic background. True? Yeah, I mean, definitely, we've seen that time and time again. So I did right. find it interesting for him. To I, I was very surprised that he used that word to to talk about an overwhelmingly white group. Um, I can't say it was one hundred percent white, but it was very white. Um, and you know, he says. He made it pretty clear. He said, you know, we're going to move forward with this and it's going to happen and we're going to finish it tonight. And I was like, okay, well, if you've got Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell both on board with this, then it is going to happen tonight. Although, you know, how long it would take was another thing, because every time there's a challenge that was supported by a senator, there was going to have to be a two hour break. Um, And many senators, not many. 
the senators who had said they previously they would support some of these challenges in battleground states um, withdrew their support. Um, Why did they do that, though? Well, do you feel it was a change of heart, or were they just sleepy and wanted to go home? Uh, <laughs> I okay. So here's where it gets a little gross. I think a lot of what happened last night was political calculus. Um, some people, the political calculus actually helped prop up the constitutional system to make sure it didn't collapse completely. Others doubled down on it. Um, I, I think Ted Cruz and this guy, Holly from Missouri are two of the worst human beings in the United States at this point. They should be ousted. And there's a precedent, historical precedent for ousting people from Congress. Yeah. And that needs to happen. I mean, and we can talk about that later of what we think next steps here are. And I know that we probably differ on it, but I mean, it's just, they incited this riot. Yeah. And I did see um, the, the I think, I almost think that there might have been an actual fight, but we couldn't see it because of the C-SPAN cameras. But well, there, was, the there was a pretty tense, there was a and tense. And the guy from Pennsylvania was talking, they cleared the benches yeah. on both sides, but we couldn't actually see what was happening. It wouldn't surprise me if there was like a punch thrown. No, no, it wouldn't to and me either. just calling but, in Congress. But. Uh, you know, but they get through it. They they had to um, break to talk about Pennsylvania. The Senate, it's interesting. The Senate took care of that very quickly. It took a while in the House. Um, they came back together, certified that. And once, once Pennsylvania was done, it finished very, very quickly. Um, Joe Biden became, officially became the president-elect of the United States of America, the person who will, whether Donald Trump and his people like it or not, will become president of the United States on January 20th, period. And it doesn't even matter if Donald Trump were to do something like try to institute martial law. Joe Biden will be president. Yes. I, yes. And I, I like that you are so, like you calm me down a lot of times. But the thing that worries me about this is like, okay, yeah, it's been certified, but what is to stop more tomfoolery like this from happening? You know, I mean, I, I, I just don't see these folks just going away. Oh, Biden's president. Okay, bye. Well, so as soon as well, Trump gets his Twitter back, it's over. Well, so, I mean, this, this ties into kind of the Whiskey Rebellion and Shay's Rebellion, right? Is, is that, that, both of those come out of people who had participated in a rebellion that turned into a revolution against the British government, a, a group they viewed as an oppressive regime that didn't care about their rights. Um, they were unwilling. They felt they had a right to continue that resistance, right? If they in the future felt that they were being victimized by an unresponsive government. Right. Um, and, and again, this is not to say that people – yesterday are like those people. But what it is to say is you just can't turn these things on and off at the, you know, the flip of a switch. Um, Van Jones yesterday said something very interesting. You know, he said, I wonder, is this kind of the end of something ugly or is this a beginning of something ugly? Um, I think we're in the midst of something ugly because something ugly has been coming. Right. Well, it's 
I think Trump's words this morning, or or whatever Trump has indicated, he hasn't had words, but he's evidently now committed to a peaceful transfer of power. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, these people are very cowardly. Um, well, when they actually got into the building, I found it really interesting that they were walking between the, um, like the, what is it? Like the aisles, like the, how, you know, how they make the yeah. aisles with like the poles with a little sash, like a la Disneyland. Like they were like going in and they had like cameras and they were like staying within those bounds. I thought that was fascinating. I was just like, it's like you almost yeah. don't even know what to do. Right. But then at the same time, you had the guy who stole the podium. You had the and guy who kind of from the sides and they're switching up. I'm not from, downplaying it, but it, it was right. almost as if they didn't even know what to do once they got inside. Like they were actually, it's thank God they were so poorly organized. They're idiots. Yeah. This is the thing. This is what's chilling to me. Thank God the, the person who fomented this Trump is an idiot. Thank God the people who followed him were idiots because if any of them were smart, there would be a very different situation today. Well, if they had the ability to plan too, because really, I mean, I loved what Anderson Cooper said, like, oh, they're going to go to Olive Garden and the Holiday Inn Express and talk. But like, they didn't really have a plan and they don't have a platform. So that's the whole thing too. Like, you know, when you look at protests or like having it, like they don't have a pro, they don't have a platform. They just want, they just want Donald Trump to remain the president, even though he was voted out. That's it. And they don't have a real plan for doing that or making it a fruition. Right. And so that, that right there is a good point that kind of brings up why this is not like previous movements in the United States. So the regulator movement, they wanted fair application of fees and taxes. The Whiskey Rebellion and Shays Rebellion, they wanted land reform. They wanted relief from mortgages that were being held by uh, or loans that were being held by coastal elites. They wanted back pay that was owed them, right? They, they wanted clear, concrete things. Even if we go back to one of the most famous kind of riot events, and it's interesting we call it a riot. I mean, I guess it is. Uh, the French bread riot. Um, this is the woman's riot, right? And I know you wanted to talk about this. Well, it's not French. It happens in Richmond. Well, Richmond. Oh, that's, oh, you're doing the Richmond. Well, mm-hmm. let me talk about the one in France in Before, 1789. Yeah. Um, 1789, women march on Versailles. Um, it is one of the most important moments in the French Revolution. And in many ways, it kicks off the French Revolution into kind of its very f- visible kind of moment. Um, but it was organized by women who could not afford to buy bread. The price of bread had skyrocketed and bread was the main staple of the peasant diet in France at the time. And they marched to Versailles and they demanded reform because of these ridiculously high prices on bread. Um, Again, it's a very concrete thing they wanted. Uh, There had been another one that had happened previously at the beginning of the 18th century in Boston. Again, it was in response to food shortages and high bread prices. Um, But it's interesting. It's 
political historians make a joke about this that that I think is not far from the truth. Once once women are writing about food, shit's getting real. Yeah, I, because it's a it's a foundational staple, right? I mean, it's like the bo- very bottom of the pyramid. People don't have food, and mothers can't feed their children. It's done. It's over. So what? So what happens in Richmond? So in Richmond, the bread riots happened during the Civil War, and this it's a very similar situation where, uh, as in France, where people are just out of food. They they have nothing, and they women start taking to the streets. Um, they march to the governor's mansion because they want they're demanding to speak to him. He kind of rebuffs them, um, and they take to the streets and start busting down windows and breaking into um, stores and stealing food. Um, there are a lot of hundreds of people are arrested because it becomes that's the thing with the riot, right? It's like you may have just a few people at first, and then they see, oh, it's going well. And then, you know, you just have people um, flooding the streets and they're stealing food, all kinds of food from these from these different stores because they're starving. Um, and this is because the Confederate government has no means of supporting the people, its constituents. Um, this happens in the, the Confederate capital. Um, Jefferson Davis goes out into the streets in the midst of it and is throwing coins at people, um, which is just so... Marie Antoinette-ish, right? I mean, he goes out and just starts throwing coins. This is all I have. This is all I have. Um, And people end up jailed for this. And and I've seen a lot of the prison records and the jail registers of people coming in badly hurt, um, broken bones, lacerations, um, and, and they were arrested for stealing food because they were starving in the midst of the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, it's again, a good reason to riot. I mean, well, and, and that's the thing is, I hate that we call it a riot, because I think there's a distinction here, because I think riot delegitimizes something. And I think these women have a legitimate thing. And I think I think when you apply the term riot, you are delegitimizing something. Well, you're automatically making it negative. Riot has a negative connotation, right? Instead of say, there's a protest or something. Yeah. Well, so, what I will say, though, in terms of historical parallel, I think, based on my small amount of time to prepare for this or to think about it, one of the things that came to my mind first when thinking, is there even a parallel for this happening? No, there's not. But there was one coup in U.S. history that was successful, and it takes place in 1898. And the Wilmington insurrection was that, would you agree that that was something that may be along these lines? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Because um, to me, it has the intersections, right. Of race. And, and it's, there's this insurrection is just white vigilantes who go into Wilmington. Should I give a background? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So November, 1898, you have over 2,000 armed white nationalists who take to the streets in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, They were egged on by politicians and by businessmen, um, you know, who were riling them up because in Wilmington, North Carolina at this time, there was a interracial government. There were a lot of elected black leaders, um, And so this mob goes into Wilmington and just 
goes in to completely dismantle the government because they are upset that there are black leaders and that there's black leadership. Um, the mob rioters, insurrectionists, um, they burn a prominent African newspaper. Um, there were anywhere between 60 to 250 black citizens who were gunned down in the streets. This is something that's not really covered. I mean, I never learned about this in elementary school, but this is a white supremacist coup and insurrection that was successful because it dismantles the government, this interracial government. Um, and then it leads to the supremacy of white leaders in that region for more than a hundred years. I mean, it's, it's a successful um, coup and it was very much motivated by race and um, by white supremacy. So to me, that's the similarity that I see between the two, uh, the two incidents is that at its core, it's a white supremacist uh, undertaking. Yeah, I, I think that's a useful kind of definition. I want to read really quickly um, U.S. Code um, Section 2383. This is uh, Title 18. Uh, it's on a rebellion or insurrection. Uh, whoever incites, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Um, looking towards what is going to happen as a result of what happened yesterday at the Capitol, I think we can look back at not even the distant history, but the relatively recent history in the United States to see that the United States does prosecute people under sedition, conspiracy, and treason laws. Uh, March 2010, you had a militia that was charged, um, although um, a U.S. district judge kind of summarily dismissed those, but there was an initial kind of bringing forward of those charges. Uh there were uh, 10 people, uh, including Omar Abdel Rahman, uh, 1995, convicted of serious uh, seditious conspiracy. Um, this happens, this has to do with the original attack on the Twin Towers in New York City. 87, you had a group of white conspiracy, uh, white supremacists uh, were indicted on seditious conspiracy. Um I mean, this happens periodically. And I think something that's important to note alongside this, if you were military, if you were active duty, duty military and you were there yesterday or you are reserve or anything like that, Article 94 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, sedition is a punishable offense. It is. And you are violating the oath that you took to protect and defend the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Right. Um, so here's the thing. So we've already established that thankfully these people who stormed the Capitol yesterday were incompetent idiots, um, because they also left their fingerprints all over social media. I mean, I loved seeing them here's, all with their Here's what worries me. We, we wanted to have another episode about conspiracies and I think that we have to, because oh, I, yeah. already they're cropping up and I've seen posts from Parler. I don't have a Parler account, but I've been, you know, looking at the people who go and 
find this, these uh, heroes who go screenshot this stuff, but there's already a narrative that the people who went into the Capitol yesterday and stormed the Capitol rubber were Antifa and that they were paid actors and that they were staged. But we can see these people's faces and they're along, they're, they're bragging about what they did. We know so, they are right. We know this isn't true, but I mean, Matt Gates from Florida said it on the house floor last night. How do we combat it though? What did he say? He said that, that he had heard that there were Antifa members disguised as Patriots who had kind of fomented this. Um, the truth to this is, though, is that many of these people so boldly posted pictures of themselves, it's easy to do image searches and find that these people are involved in other white supremacist activities. So the, there's this guy who's kind of wearing red face and dressed in a buffalo hat and stuff. Um, he is this kind of far right nut job. Um, there's a guy who was near him and they said, Oh, this guy's from Antifa. Cause it's on this Antifa website. Um, yeah, it was on our Antifa website that was posting pictures of known Nazis. So yes, he was on an Antifa website, but as a Nazi, as a- um, I think this is the thing. I think the media, honestly, for the most part, with a couple of notable exceptions really stepped up yesterday and if they've had it, I think they just started calling this out for whatever it is. Um, but I mean, fortunately, they were so idiotic, they kind of left their fingerprints all over social media. Um, it's going to be fairly easy to find who, out who these people are, um, where they live, all of these things. What happens next? Well... I, I've i seen calls from the FBI to start identifying these individuals and to go after them. I think that there will be a wide-scale domestic terror investigation that takes place um, to bring these terrorists to justice. I think they have to go for the their leader. And, and I think I, they do. I think that the, that the 25th Amendment must be invoked. I, I don't think that another a single day more of Donald Trump in office can be tolerated for saving face for the rest of the world. Right. Well, I don't. I don't know what will happen. I mean, it seems to me it seems like if there's ever a time. I mean, Facebook has permanently banned Donald Trump's account. He is banned on Twitter. I think it was a 12-hour ban. It might even be up at this point. This is the thing. January 20th, he he becomes perma-banned basically on all those platforms. Perma-banned. I hope so. Uh, that's how he spreads his hate. That's the whole thing, right? So people are like, oh, it's a free speech thing. It's like you don't have free speech on a private company's platform. It's their jo- It's their choice what you can or can't say on the platform. You just don't have to use the platform. And the other thing about free speech – you are allowed free speech up until a certain point. See our free speech episode, right? right we did exactly. the first yes. You are not allowed to yell fire in a crowded movie theater, and you are not allowed to say trial by combat, storm the U.S. Capitol either. It's well, against that's, the law. So that's the thing. Even though most of the people at that rally who were speaking didn't participate in the storming of the Capitol, they are definitely under the incitement portion of this, and they are definitely under the assist portion of this. 
Um, even though they didn't engage in the actual storming of the Capitol, they incited it. Um, I hope the DOJ, I hope law enforcement in general has the courage to kind of pursue these charges the way they need to. I know there have already been a couple of district uh, attorneys in Kentucky, particularly, who've said they're going to look at charges against anyone from their district who traveled to Washington, D.C. with the intent purpose of engaging in this seditious activity. Um, you love to hear that from Kentucky. I Well, this is the thing. I think, hopefully, I think Trump and his followers overestimated who would support their, their treason. You know, and, and it seems to be true. I mean, so many people defected yesterday. I mean, you saw it melt away. I mean, at one part, Laura Ingram on Fox News is saying this has to stop. Well, but then Tucker Carlson runs his stupid mouth and says no. Well, because he's going to go work for Donald Trump on his new media network. Maybe. Um, so here's something that I've been kind of floating a little bit in my own head and I'll float it by you. This situation to me was almost a necessary evil because we as historians have been banging the drum of there's a problem in America. There's a problem with race. There's a problem with policing. There's a problem with white supremacist organizations. There's a problem with domestic terrorism. There's mm-hmm. a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. And we, I mean, I've said that since I started teaching. Well, I and think Timothy- it's so fully on display that it cannot be denied. It's so fully on display. Well, here's the thing is I think Timothy McVeigh, Ruby Ridge, all of that, I don't think we ever resolved that. Those are peanuts compared to what happened yesterday. No, but, but I think, but I think we never resolved what had allowed that those groups to grow and what they were morphing into. I don't think we ever resolved them. And in 2016, a president was elected who actually fostered that type of approach. Um, Because this has always been here. That's so important to point out. This has always been here. There's always been an undertone of it, but then to have this, these thoughts and these, this ideology, this radicalism, represented by the person who holds the highest office in the United States. It just laid it all out bare for us to see. And it's horrifying, but it's been around. And now, now that we have their faces, now that we know who's specifically doing this, it's time to root it out once and for all. Right. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Uh, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, any white nationalist group, all of these groups, Um. The good thing is, is they've outed themselves as members of this now, and we know who they are. They're being fired from their jobs. I've seen here and there people identify. Uh huh. Right. Well, and there's already talk about how hard is it, uh, you know, are kind of people who had previously have supported somebody like Holly from Minnesota, from Missouri, um, is it going to be harder for them to gather financial support for future campaigns? And I think it will be. As long as we keep this in people's minds. And this is the thing. I think anybody who aided or abetted this insurrection yesterday 
if and when they run for office again, I think immediately people need to remind the public of the pictures from yesterday. It was dystopian. And what their vision of America looks like. Their vision of America is jackbooted thuggery. Pure and simple. Yeah. I, I'm um, still reeling. Like I think the trauma of all of this has not even begun to set in. And I and as Van Jones said, like, is it the start or is it the end? I am so afraid that it's not we've not seen the last of this. I don't think we've seen the last of them, but what I've, I think we have seen is I think they pushed in a way that has made many Americans who maybe didn't, who viewed, you know, kind of the proud boys and people who protest for black lives matter as very similar in their tactics. I think those people are now are like, yeah, no, that's not actually true. I was wrong. Um, you know, and this isn't even addressing kind of broader issues, but um, I was very hardened last night. I felt I actually teared up last night a little bit as I watched the joint session finish certifying or, or finish uh, counting the electoral votes. I was very proud of them for doing that. I was. I thought it was important, and on I think the other hand. You, you know, they're all crying. Oh, we had to go hide under our desks because there were guns. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you never been in a public school in the United States? Right. We have well, to do that's... that all the time. I grew up doing that. I grew up hiding from a potential shooter. And I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it, but it's like, now you know what it's like to live in the United States and arm all of these idiots and allow mm. them to just march around wherever they feel like it. It's scary. Yeah, but that being said, I was very proud of them for pulling it back together, coming, you know, getting the business of this country done. It it was a very proud moment when I woke up and saw the notification on my phone that it was done. I did feel very proud of them going back and doing that, even though they had been terrorized previously in the day. Yeah. I mean, it's just that that's the thing is they ultimately these insurrectionists, these traitorous mobs, they failed in their job. They've, they failed in their task to, to undermine, to subvert the will of the people and undermine the, the democratic process. They failed because they're uh, losers. They have, they are losers. I mean, that's again. the thing is, is that, you know, if you want to cloak yourself in the Confederate battle flag, it's the banner of losers. It's the banner of immoral, not amoral, but immoral, um, intellectually deficient losers. And, and you know, again, I, when we started this podcast, we weren't, we said we weren't going to get very political, but it's, you know, Hillary Clinton was so demonized in 2016 when she called the people who supported Trump a, a basket of deplorables. What I saw yesterday, a gather around the Capitol, were a basket of deplorables. I mean, I think that that's putting it very nicely. I, I think it is too. But I mean, these are not people who are feeling pain. And we need to figure out why they're feeling this pain. These are people who violently want to impose their view of what the United States should be on everyone else. Yeah. 
I, I'm so bored and speechless and processing it, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah. And, and you know, the, I also think back to Mitt Romney in 2012. I saw, I said this last time, but like Russia's the greatest geopolitical threat. All of this is rooted in, in a Russian plot to undermine our elections, to get into our civil discourse, to divide people in this country, to inject conspiracy into the minds of the most feeble-minded Americans, mm-hmm. and to I, subvert our democracy. And they're winning. Good job. Well, right. I think you're right on some level, but at this, I, I want to be cautious about saying that because I don't want that to be an excuse and say, well, these poor people were just kind of duped. No, they are morons, and they were duped. They are morons, but at the same time, to be said, right? But at the same time, they are no different than any other group that supported a fascist takeover. And this is the thing, too, is I think that I'm fascism should be a dirty word, and if somebody's anti-fascist. That should not be something they're ashamed to say they are. I don't even think they know what that means when they say Antifa. Like, I hear boomers just like flowing that word out of their mouth and they don't even know what it means. Cause I'm like, you think being anti fascist is bad? Well, so many, so many of them, their fathers fought against fascist. It blows my mind. <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, it's this has kind of been rambling today. I know we just wanted to get something out because I I think you know we're all kind of still processing this, um, and I definitely agree we're going to do an, another episode on conspiracy theories here in the near future. Um, but I think we need to have a follow up to this, and I I would really like us to compare groups like the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys to previous kind of seditious militia movements. Okay. I think when we have a little more time to to really dive to prepare. in, it would be good. But <laughs> you're right. It was important to speak on this and to help us process it. And hopefully by listening to this, it helps some of you process it. This is still a very active, evolving, and unfolding situation. I think we are going to see a lot in the coming weeks of trying to get to the bottom of what happened. Um, but then also, I'm really hoping to see some ousting of, you know, people from Congress over this because it's not unprecedented. So, again, it's unfolding. I hope that this helped you process what's happening. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jeff. And I'm Hillary. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.